Hey, welcome to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. And with me, as always, is Dave and Fredo. Everybody say hello. Hello. Hi. And I'm Aaron, by the way. And, you know, it's funny. When we started this podcast at this time of day, it was always really dark. And it's now still bright and sunshiny outside. I want to go outside and play. I don't know. Um, but, uh, oh, well. It is what it is. Hey, and we, we moved to phase two on Saturday. Yay. Yay. Phase, uh, two. phase two. So there you that, go. That means you can hang in a bar, but you can't move around. You got to be seated. And you got to so, keep the distance. And so I was, I, was giving, I was giving our friend Alan a bunch of crap because I said, so, so what is 25% of Johnny White's? Four? And, and he replied back. He said, actually, it's 10 I was like, so we were talking about that. I was like, holy crap, wait a minute. Can 40 people fit in Johnny White's? And it, for those of you who listen, Johnny White's on uh, on St. Peter and, uh, you know, right across the street from Pat O'Brien's. This is just a tiny bar. I can't, I, how can 40 people fit in there? Well, there is a back part. There is a back part uh, that you can go into. And, that's called uh, the bathroom, Fredo. Well, no, 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 no. There's, there's <laughs> actually an area back there because that's where they, they set up all the free food when uh, they had their anniversary party. That's how I remember it. But uh, no, yeah, it, it, you can fit 40 people into that place as long as you're willing to make really, really close friends with total strangers. I was going to say, he sent me the video of their 50th anniversary, and you were in that video, yeah. and th there was nowhere near 40 people in there at that time. Yeah, they so. were splitting. Yeah, they were splitting the people. People were coming in and out. That's part of that. The fun. It's hey, you come in, grab a drink, you pop in next door, come back, go across the street, come back, grab some food. But yeah, no, Johnny White's being his favorite place, and I was just making fun. Of like, what is what is uh um twenty five percent? You have to. They're gonna have to start selling wristbands or something. I don't know. But uh, they so, just got uh, to move in. That's right. I'm surprised he didn't chain himself to the hole in the wall, you know, when they close that down. But anyway, um, well, cool. So what have you guys been doing this week? We had a tropical storm and uh, followed by a thunderstorm that did more damage than the tropical storm. So um, guys staying dry. Did you guys uh, have fun tropical storm weekend? I, uh, I, was, I spent my time playing Super Mario 64 and uh, defeated it, so I was very proud of myself for that. But, uh, um, yeah, I know. I mean, we hunkered down and hung out. and um, it's, all, it's a lot like uh, the uh, coronavirus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw the, my favorite meme was, um, attention, attention, Louisianans, uh, you may now move from your um, COVID-19 drinking schedule to your uh, tropical storm drinking schedule. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, by the way, when you said you beat uh, Super Mario 64, that reminded me of, I'll never forget the day that I beat Mike Tyson and Mike Tyson's punch out. It uh, was like, it was like seven 30 in the morning in the summer. I was the only one awake. My sister was asleep in her room back there and my dad was at work and, um, and I beat Mike Tyson and I started screaming like a madman. fell over in the chair I was sitting in. Yeah, so that was – I'll never forget that day. That was, that was on the NES Classic, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. Yeah, like that's that's even more impressive because there's like a slight input delay on the on the modern uh, emulation, emulated software. And so it's like 
for you to beat Mike Tyson as an adult on the, on the NES Classic instead of the original hardware, that's even more impressive. No, I wasn't an adult. I was like in what crud eighth grade. Oh, whatever, ninth okay. Grade. So no, the old was, one. Okay. Yeah, it was All way right. back then. Yeah. So, no, I, I would well, love I would, to have Mike. Tyson I've been trying to play now. that game on the on the new one, the the you know the the little mini console, and like that that is a bear. Anybody that can beat Mike Tyson in that game is is doing some things. Except Mike Tyson's Punch Out. That's not on the uh, on the mini console. It's uh, yeah, it's it's, it's, it's the other one. regular Punch Out. Yeah, right, right. Mr. Dream. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Is there a reason why they didn't put Mike Tyson's Punch Out? I'm sure it has everything Legal. to do with money. Yeah, money and uh, like <laughs> thing. Okay. Yeah, back in the day, they subbed him out. Uh, because his li the licensing agreement expired, uh, and that game was way more popular than they expected. So they started producing copies with Mike Tyson, like edited out, and like some generic guy replaced him. Uh, and like the added benefit of that was that um, Mike Tyson started biting people's ears off shortly thereafter. So it was uh, they it was changed a fortuitous. Them. They changed it to Mike Bryson's punch out. Uh, punch out yeah. <laughs> they just drew a mustache and a beard. And, and so. so, speaking of uh, delayed reactions to video games, uh, yeah, I uh, took advantage. I found FIFA 20 for 10 bucks. So I bought it and I've been playing it just for the fun of Hey, you know, I, about 15 years ago when I. You know, 15, 20 years ago, when I rediscovered soccer as kind of an adult, I uh, got into it, you know, in part because it's a fun game. And yeah, it's one of those games where still, the, it's a lot like Madden. The, they only do every year is just switch out the, the jerseys and the rosters, but the technology is pretty much the same, which means that you still have those delayed inputs. So you press for a pass, and they go, No, no, I didn't press for a pass. And it's like, but it's the player, the digital player, is already passing the digital ball away. You're like, you get frustrated with yourself. But no, but it's a, it's a good way to kind of kill the time when we're expecting to get washed out and that didn't happen. And then we did get washed out when we didn't expect it, which was fun. Yep, that's always the way it goes. It's always the way it goes. So, um, so anyway, on this episode tonight, um, we are, you know, a couple weeks ago, uh, of course, last week we had our big Marvel uh, rundown. Um, and, um, but two weeks ago, we were talking about just Rebels in kind of general. And this week, we're going to go a little bit more um, spoilerific into season one of Rebels. So if you don't like spoilers, we'll let you know when we get to the Rebels discussion. We got some stuff to do before then. But we're going to go through the episodes and kind of what's important about it to the overall story of Rebels, what our favorite episodes were. Um, are filler episodes really filler episodes now that we've you know made it through that whole series? So, uh, so yeah, we'll be kind of going through those. Um, and we'll always uh, have some news from Fredo. Um, Dave's ready to rant. So if, if you could see this video pocket, he's looking like he's ready for a fight. So that's coming up here soon. So yeah, he's even rubbing his hands. He's ready to go. Um, but, uh, but first, we'll start with, as always, trivia. And uh, uh, we're going to have a guest trivia person tonight, but they are uh, in timeout of sorts. So hopefully they'll be joining us next week. 
Um, so, um, yeah, let you deduce from that what you will. Um, but uh, all right, so here's time for trivia. And Dave, I'll go to you first. Um, oh, wow. Okay. So here's an episode one question for you. Right. Who tosses a boomer to Jar Jar Binks in the heat of battle? Is that uh, Captain Tarples? It is Captain Tarples. Yes, sir. Ding, ding, ding. Woo. I thought it was. Captain Tarples and General and uh, Tarful. I'm just thinking, you know, by the time of episode three, George was just recycling names. Now, hold on. Who, what, where? Who's Tarful? No, Tarful. Remember, Tarful's the chief of the Wookiee chieftain. And then Tarful oh, is. Was it? It is. It is. Ooh. Wow. Well, that might get into our discussion about, uh, you know, naming things here pretty soon. So, uh, yeah, that, you're right. I didn't, I was, I was actually, I was mispronouncing it in my head as Captain Tarful, but it's Tarful. Yes, you're right. And the Wookiee is Tarful. Yeah. But so. by episode three, the, George was just like, look, just call it this. Let's go. Let's get this done. Have you ever seen the, have you guys seen the meme where, um, uh, what it, or uh, it shows like it's captioning Chewbacca um, in episode four saying, are you kidding me? You used to, you've seen like the, the, you know, all these Jedi and all these just like going on all the things that uh, I can't remember. Was it Han saying, or no, it was Ben Kenobi saying, I don't remember ever owning a droid. Maybe ah, I have to find the meme. I'm just ruining this episode now. But anyway, it's Chewbacca. All the, all the things Chewbacca has seen. Um, I'll find it later. All right. Well, we'll just shut up. Step that up part out, Dave. Um, he he and R2 have seen everything. I mean, we can just assume. Yep. Um, all right. So Fredo, who does Luke claim is gravely mistaken about him? Hmm. So clearly it's Return of the Jedi. And now I got to think which one. There's two characters I'm thinking. But I'm going to go with Emperor Palpatine. It is Palpatine. My first reaction was Jabba the Hutt. That's but, what uh, I was thinking I, of I first. I thought about it for a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Well, hmm. Who determines that the Hoth probe droids' transmissions were probably in Imperial code? Well, I'll wait for our listeners, but ding, ding, ding. That was C-3PO. Yes, it is C-3PO. Because it says it's fluent in over 6 million forms of communication, and that one's not used by the Alliance. Didn't I, did he not say it might be an Imperial Code? He did say it might be an Imperial, co imperial Code, yeah. yes. Yeah. So, all right, well, there's our trivia. Um, so, all right, well, let's uh, shoot it over to Fredo with news. What do we got going on this week? Uh, not, not as many, obviously, as some weeks past, but there's a couple of decent ones, interesting ones. We'll start with the most recent, which you uh, giddily sent to us, was uh, Empire 40 is having a celebration with a certain point of view. So coming this Monday, we're going to get uh, something. No, there was a book anthology kind of that came out called From a Certain Point of View, which kind of looked at events in the original trilogy from different characters' uh, points of view. Um, now we're going to get another one called From a Certain Point of View, The Empire Strikes Back, which will feature 40 stories by 40 authors 
reimagining classic sequel through the eyes of background characters, whether those are heroes, villains, droids, or creatures. So um, all the authors have uh, donated their compensation to First Book, which is a nonprofit to provide new books and learning materials to children in need. And uh, yeah, it's at the, we're supposed to expect, like I said, the big reveal is going to be this Monday, uh, June the 16th, regarding uh, what it'll entail. And how, Sorry. How Monday is June 15th. I know uh, that 16th. because it's my anniversary. Uh, actually, Monday is June 5th. Yeah, Monday, June 15th. Yeah. So yeah. they're Tuesday, June 16th. And it's good that you know your anniversary. Yes. Good man. <laughs> uh, you know, I really, I, we were talking about this offline. I really dug that book, Certain Point of View. Um, and it just, and the fact that it's running parallel with the storyline of Empire. So it's kind of like, you know, you're walking down the street and, you know, it's what's going on in the windows, you know, of the houses you're walking by. It's uh, um, some, some of those stories, they know what's going on in the main storyline. Some of them have no idea and have, nothing to do except like who's this person that just walked into cantina type of thing um and the, and the best part of that one was the conversation between yoda and obi-wan how spoiler um yoda wanted to train leia didn't want to train luke and he was all ticked off because obi-wan was saying ah oh, you know i'm dead now you gotta you gotta train luke now um so that was that was a really good one so i wonder now if we're going to get kind of a a flip side to that uh, that conversation, but no, it's and it's an interest. It's interesting they go not just background characters, but droids and creatures. I mean, are they going to give us a uh, perspective from the space worm? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, something flew in my mouth. Hey, hey, trying to get out. I'm just trying to get out. No, get back in here. But no, but it's it's always an interesting dynamic, particularly in terms of because um, it's not quite fan fiction. I don't think, you know, it doesn't descend to that level, but it does allow you to reassess uh, moments and chapters and characters that have been presented one way in a different way. And that's that's a good exercise to get into in terms of writing for, for a lot of writers. Just simply go, okay, re, you know, redraw this scene. Like, I'd love a sequel, uh, no, a chapter, just from Boba Fett's point of view as to what he's thinking while uh, Vader's torturing Han. Go ahead, Dave. I was just going to say, at, at its worst, it's humorous. Mm -hmm. um, but at its best, it gives you new insight into these scenes that you may not have ever considered before. And Aaron's example of Yoda wanting to train Leia over Luke um, is a really cool one. And it, it got us talking, I think, during our Empire Strikes Back episode, uh, going down, like, you know, evaluating the film from that perspective. It's like, Okay, so what does that mean for this scene, or what does it mean for that scene? You know, and it can be a really, really fun thought exercise. But again, at its, at, you know, worst case scenario, you're getting some funny haha -ha moments. You know, like you mentioned with the cantina, some got background character going, "Who are these jerks?" You know, <laughs> shooting up the place. No, I want to. I want to hear Boba Fett. You know, after you know Vader says no disintegrations, I want to hear his thoughts of him complaining you know. <laughs> grumbling i can't believe you told me no this so cool well uh and, i was just uh, gonna say uh, it'd be interesting to get a chapter for from the point of view of uh captain piet yeah as he's getting promoted 
Everybody <laughs> keeps dying around him. Yeah, that was exactly. <laughs> Why does he keep surviving? <laughs> well, you know, of course, then there, I, you know, I, I, I have no idea what's going. I could see a short story of Vader in the meditation chamber. Mm-hmm. You know, when he's got his, you know, helmet off. You know, um, so yeah, this whole thing it, it could be very, very interesting. Um, let's see what would be. Uh, you know, maybe the the ice cream maker guy, you know, <laughs> running running through the you know saving his saving his safe because now we know that the ice cream maker is a safe. You know, at least that's what they use it in the Mandalorian. So, you know, the the first book it came out before the sequel trilogy, right, or thereabouts. Uh, in the middle of okay. I believe. I just I was going to say there's probably a lot more new material for them to mine. Well, this one's well. This one's specifically designed to be uh, all about empire. Okay. So yeah, it's all about empire. It follows uh, oh, okay. Same same which, type of deal. Yeah. Which is interesting to go in that way. Okay. So, next bit of news, and to kind of you know keep it both light and shocking. So get ready for the shocking stinger. Um, one of the Mandalorian second unit directors revealed that he knows the real name of Baby Yoda. So, second unit director Sam Hargreaves, who uh, just directed uh, the movie uh, Extraction for Netflix with uh, Chris Hemsworth, he was doing the rounds being interviewed uh, by Collider, and he said, uh, you know, obviously the official name of the of Baby Yoda is The Child, but he says, yes, I know the name of The Child, I carry that secret, it's a very heavy burden. Obviously... <laughs> Everybody immediately started going like, no, no, no. His name is Baby Yoda. We're trying to guess. And he said, look, I can't reveal anything. I'm not going to say anything because obviously you know, he'd be hunted down by Disney's, you know, commando teams for dare to break uh, secrets such like that ahead of schedule. So, but- so I, have, I have two thoughts on this. One is there's part of me that's thinking about when I was a kid and you know mom and dad would be gone and my my sister and brother and i would be you know watching after ourselves and my sister would do something like hit me or something i was i'm gonna tell mom she said i'm gonna tell mom what you did i didn't do nothing what i do you know what you did all right well i won't tell if you won't so you know my sister obviously making this crap up so i would not tell on her okay i i think he uh, one thought is, is that he's making this up and so and he's just you know He's just playing with people. Yeah, I know what the name is. Because my second thought is, is I don't want Baby Yoda to have a name. I mean, I I, I don't. I, it's just, mm-hmm. it, I don't see. Yeah, the benefit I, to it? Right. I mean, it's like, you know, in his, and then, then, of course, it gets into what is Baby Yoda's name. And I think we're going to have to have like a, a poll or something. The best, you know, do this on Twitter. The best, uh, best idea gets, you know, mentioned on the podcast. But um you know, because we know Yoda and we know Yaddle, those are the. And so, is this going to be another Y name? I don't know, but I, I don't want him to have a name. But I don't know. Well, you gotta okay. You gotta figure from a logistical standpoint. Uh, Mandalor the Mandalorian, Din Jaren, has to you know be able to call him something. You can't just simply go you. You know, hey, that starts with a Y. Y O U U. But he's got to have a name for him or her again. So far, we know nothing about Baby Yoda beyond it's adorable and 
He likes frogs and he likes soup. They've, he doesn't, he doesn't, they've, they've, even used, they've used the male pronoun in the show right. a couple of times. So, but you know, I mean, I don't know. There's plenty of people who just call their dog dog. You know, I mean, I'm I'm not saying I, I don't mean to, I, but it's I don't know. I, I just think have, <laughs> giving it a name. I don't I don't want it to have a name. A dog's you know? a little different than a baby. <laughs> I'd, I'd say to the point that Fredo was kind of making like it. It would make sense for Mando to name him at some point. Um, but I just. Are you gonna ever find out what the original name was? What the and background like, story? Yeah, the background story, because that's where there's ground to, you know, till for you know this information. It's like, oh wow, you know, what's the background of where this baby comes from? And well, I, and I'll bet ten dollars then that it starts with a Y and it has two syllables in it because Lucasfilm is not good at naming things originally. We talked That's, about that earlier, you know. We just said that, right? Yeah. They should ask Pedro Pascal uh, what what he would name the child because uh, the man the Mando is is really going to be the one who names the kid at some point, right? But no, it's yeah, it's an interesting idea, and and look, maybe it all it means is that they give him some sort of code name, and that's what's going to be revealed. It can mean any number of things. I just. I found that amusing uh, that all of a sudden it nearly broke breaks the internet. So, speaking of breaking the internet, one more bit of the McClunky. That's what the name is. <laughs> it ends in a Y. So, that would that would work well for us. McClunky. Yep. So one more bit of Baby Yoda and Mandalorian news. So um, Lucas, uh, let's see. I'm trying to find. Uh, there's supposed to be a spinoff for Daisy Ridley's Ray in the works. Uh, according to, I'm trying to find the source for this. Um, but the development moves forward fast enough. The project will be more than capable of taking on. Uh, they're looking to release it in 2022, 2024, and 2026. So, again, keeping to the every other year dynamic. Now, remember, they still have Taika Waititi spinoff somewhere out there in the ether, Ryan Johnson's proposed trilogy somewhere out there. So, they still have a lot of kind of irons in the pot, so to speak, without any concrete news yet. Uh, so there's supposed to be a uh, a Ray trilogy follow-up that's not going to be numbered, just going to be about Ray. And the studio is planning on having Luke Skywalker involved with it, whether or not Mark Hamill comes back to it, because, again, remember the big story was about how Episode Nine was the end of uh, the uh, the journey for Mark. But then the other until that... that uh, we got discovered, which is where we're getting this from, says is that uh, Mando and Baby Yoda would take part in this trilogy in some kind of way. So this would be set 25, uh, you know, 20 Mando's stories take place 25 years before The Force Awakens. We would see Din Djarin, older, more grizzled, and then uh, whether it's child Yoda or preteen Yoda at that point, you know, emo, emo Yoda. Yeah. Yeah. The emo tween Yoda again. So there's some sort of concept that they're going to bring those characters from the Mandalorian into this Ray trip, possible Ray trilogy. Well, you know, before, so this is where we get to the point where Dave wants to rant. And I just, I'll just say a couple things real quick is that, um, 
I think the idea, I, I, I love the character of Ray. Um, I, you know, I, and uh, obviously the stories, the, the obvious story would be the creator creation of a new generation of Jedi, mm -hmm. you know, and what that, so, you know, okay, sure. Um, but like I said, when I, when I first heard this, so I, I don't, so I think I said what I'm saying, I don't know if I'm really excited about that as a possibility for a movie. Um, I still would like to see the origins of the Jedi, the origins of the Sith. I'd still like to go back that way. But, um, but Ray is a great character. It's, um, there's obviously marketing things when Disney's looking at, hmm, we got Galaxy's Edge and we got this character walking around that now nobody's really going to know, you know, five years from now. So we got to have a movie about it. So there's the cynical side of me that says that. But this Mando and Baby Yoda is now it's it's starting to feel like Scooby Doo episodes where Batman and Robin show up, um, you know. But you know, I flippantly said in our in our conversation on Twitter was, sounds like a Marvel movie because there I am watching Thor Ragnarok and all of a sudden here comes Hulk, or I'm watching Ant Man and all of a sudden there's Falcon, or you know, it's like. So is Star Wars trying to, you know, do more Marvel stuff um, like this? Um, Both Disney partners, so. Yeah. I don't know, but uh, Dave? Yeah, no. Um, so I, I got immediately agitated over this because it, it felt the same way to me that it does to you, which is like it feels very marvel ish right which is like let's cross over this movie so that we can promote this other movie um and they do it very well in the mcu as a general rule you know it's it sometimes it feels a little out of place but you move forward you move past it and it's fine um where i have a problem with this and where it just begins to break down for me in star wars is that they can't pick a timeline and and the, they're just constantly hopping around and if you talk to people who aren't star wars fans they just can't follow this stuff at all and they get really frustrated and 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 they they just like ah oh, wait uh you know i remember when rogue one came out and everyone's like wait what happened to ray and what's going on with ray during all of this like it never even occurred to some people that this was pre a new hope and so like for me to like cross these characters over who currently inhabit different timelines i feel like it's going to create more confusion for people um and and not only that it doesn't lend itself to just a natural narrative process the thing with Marvel and the reason they get away with jumping back in time occasionally when they do it is because it's occasional. Um, the first Captain. Other, well, it's about every other movie. <laughs> well, like to a point, like you talk about every other movie, but it's like, well, we're jumping back two months, you know, or or something along those lines. You might have a flashback that jumps back even further, like in Civil War or Ant-Man. 
Um, but it's just a flashback scene. The whole movie is set basically in a continuing timeline. So the thing or, that the, or, the end or you end or you end a movie with a guy who's been asleep for seventy years, and you have Aaron go, "Why is he asleep for seventy years?" Oh, it just was, and then we move on. Anyway, go ahead. Dude. Well, that's two movies. <laughs> that's that's Captain America and that's Captain Marvel that did no. that. Yeah, and okay. and like every other movie that like jumped back in time, like I said, it was a matter of weeks or months, where it's like, oh, technically this movie came before this other movie. If you want to get technical about it, or it's like the flashback sequence, like I said, like in Ant Man and some of the other movies. Um, so it's more of they're actually keeping a narrative going. From movie to movie to movie to movie, that makes sense. And Star Wars has just been jumping all over the place. And like this feels like it would be more of that, or at least it would confuse people in that way. And so that's why I get fired up about it. And it sounds like it would be set post episode nine. Great. But Mando's not set then, so we're leaping forward in time for those characters, and how are people going to feel about that? And it's just, it feels it feels forced because of the problems that I'm outlining with the timeline. And, and this is all, and this was all rumor to the, those listening. This is not set in stone, but uh, um, uh, and no, I, I agree. I'm like I said, I'm being. I'm being snarky, you know, with the Marvel stuff and everything, um, you know, but I, I, I do agree. It's like, um, first of all, the people who, who were confused by Rogue One, I'm just going to say, we're not paying attention. <laughs> I mean, that, that's just so, I mean, that's, that's like me going to a Superman movie going, well, I didn't know he could fly, you know, it's like, yeah, it's so. I mean, there, I, I have a little bit. I have a little bit of issue with that. Um, but I don't, don't forget. Think... It. Don't forget. It also happened with Solo. Yep. Yep. Everybody's like, "This is this pre episode one? Because what's Darth Maul doing here?" You know. So yeah. like the, the the leaping around has just been problematic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. But there's. I mean, my God. I. I, I guess. I don't think that all these movies should move in one overall sequence because it's it's like any nonfiction book or any you know history book it's like you don't don't necessarily open it up and just start from the beginning and move to the end you're going to move from an era to era if it's like you're reading a book about world war one so i'm going to go now into this history book and read about world war one and that references something that happened you know in i don't know even further back or you know something it's I don't know. I, I guess I don't have that big of a problem. I just think that I don't think Star Wars should try to get into doing the Marvel thing. Um, I think that's the bigger thing. It's just do what you do well. Star Wars does a good job at telling good stories. Um, I th also think that um, Solo and Rogue One, those issues that you guys brought up, is that's why they should have had a damn crawl. Because you could have said, it's however many years before the Battle of Yavin and Han Solo is, you know, running around Corellia or whatever, not just have the blue stuff, but have, have a crawl and set it up. So people go, okay, I know where I'm at, you know? Um, and so I could see a baby Yoda or adolescent Yoda or whatever being with 
you know, training with Ray. Because at that point, he's only going to be 75 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, 75, so, 75, 80, thereabouts. So he's still going to be a youngling, you know. So um, who else is going to train him? You know, I, so um, I can see that happening. The thing that got me irritated was the, and Luke Skywalker is going to be in it, you know, with or without Mark Hamill. And that's what I, I don't want Star Wars. I mean, I heard people saying that, Hey, you could have you know post. You could have post Return of the Jedi movies um, and just use Alden for Han Solo. It's like no, you can't. I'm sorry, Harrison Ford's Han Solo. So if Mark Hamill doesn't want to do Luke Skywalker, then don't put Luke Skywalker in the friggin' movie. You know, Ewan McGregor might want to you know be Ray's new mentor. You know, or you could get Liam Neeson probably to do something. He needs a paycheck. You know, I I just I don't want. I don't want it to become plan nine from outer space where it's like, Hey kids, it's Luke Skywalker. And it doesn't look like Luke Skywalker. It's not Luke Skywalker. So get off my lawn. Anyway, Fredo. So yeah, two thoughts actually playing out came to my mind as I mean, you guys talk. First of all, I don't necessarily like the idea of taking Mandalorian and baby Yoda and putting them in a new movie trilogy with Ray. Just for the standpoint of we're seeing their story happen. We're gone. We got season one. We're going to get season two. We're probably going to, you know, we're definitely getting a season three and we might even get a season four. I would like for that story to be wrapped up before they jump off into anywhere else. Because I find, you know, because all what, what that will do is it will rob the Mandalorian of its proper place, you know, the show, not the character, but the show of its proper storytelling pace. Well, it, kind of feels like, it kind of feels like Luke Skywalker showing up on the Muppet show. In some ways, yeah, no, but it, it feels like, you know, because imagine if you go and see this movie in 2022 and there's Baby Yoda or Adolescent Yoda and Mandalorian, and then you, you go, oh, and then Mandalorian season four, whatever, whatever's up at that point is coming out. You're like, well, wait a minute, why should I get invested in this new series when, or in this new season, when I've already seen that they're going to be alive and well 25 years from that? Or twenty years from that, however, the gap is—you yeah. know—you've robbed your story, your primary story, of its power to hold the attention of your audience. So that's yeah, interesting. I, 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 I was going to say, I sometimes think that's oversold. Like the idea of knowing what a character's future is in terms of drama and tension. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's a strike against it. It really is. Like, if I know that these two characters are going to survive the entire run of the series, I, you know, it, it kind of puts a damper on things for me. Well, that was my argument for Solo, and I got shouted <laughs> down. So <laughs> but by many people, it's like, I mean, it, it was the same thing with, you know, showing in the trailer Chewbacca about, oh, no, he's going to get smashed by a mountain. No, he's not going to. You know, or, you know, the Kessel Run. But, I, you know, I still, and I was proven wrong because I was like, why should I get up in arms about, I know everybody's going to make it out, you know, and the people I don't know are going to make it out are the people who have been in any movies. And if we lose them, big deal, whatever, you know. Uh, but, but I still found myself gripping the seat, knowing that everybody's going to survive the Kessel Run. So I think there are ways to do it. You know, but I, I guess my other problem is I just, and I, again, I made this comment offline. It's, it's starting to sound like BJ and the bear, you know, it's, you know, Mando and baby Yoda in a semi, you know, trailer, you know, trucking down the road. Are they, 
are they partners now? Are they, you know, it just sounds uh, to, to me and my head canon, it's like he gets, he gets baby Yoda to the Jedi and, you know, and off he goes. And maybe, I don't know, maybe there's a storyline that Mando has to go find baby Yoda again, you know, 30 years later. I don't know what it is, but I, I, I just think it shows a little bit of lack of creativity and it seems more like it's just greed because everybody likes baby Yoda. So, and uh, that kind of goes to my other point that I had a you know, question is, in some ways, I don't necessarily know that I would want, I mean, I love Daisy Ridley. I love, uh, she's an Arsenal fan. I love the character of Ray. I found that episode nine closed her story in an appropriate fashion. Weirdly enough, she's not the character I want to see a new movie or movie series or a TV show. The character I want to see uh, more of is Finn because his story is not done. You know, Ray, you could say, okay, you have established her as the new Jedi master or the new Jedi leader, and she's going to go off and she's going to try to continue the legacy of the Jedi. And there's an interesting story there. But if you never see it, this the, her book is closed and you're, and you're in, a, in a good place. Finn is the one that I found kind of got, got short end of the stick by episode nine. So if you were to tell me that you're going to see a further movie or further movie, a TV show with him tracking down all the kids who were stolen by the First Order, trying to you know, repatriate them, so to speak, or trying to help bring down whatever's left of the First or Final Orders, whatever. That's a story I would like to see. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. I just It really bothers me, now that you mention it, that they didn't mention Finn in this story at all, and they only mentioned Daisy Ridley. And, like, uh -huh. John Boyega is... Is great charismatic actor. That character has a lot more growing to do. We have not seen it on screen. I'm with you. I'm with you 100. Mm percent -hmm. Yeah, I, I, we be a whole other episode about what they. Again, we've talked about this. What they should. They didn't flesh out any of these characters. I mean, the people who said that Finn was force sensitive in episode seven just because he wielded a lightsaber. No, that's not the case, you know, because Han Solo wielded a lightsaber and cut open a tauntaun, you know, um, it was, and I felt in episode nine that that whole Finn has the force fine, but it was like, pardon the expression, but forced. It was like, it, you know, it was, I mean, how many of us were sitting in the theater when he said, Ray, I, I, I never got a chance to tell you at all that you love her, you know, that's, that's where, what I thought. And that right. would have that would have made a hell of a lot more sense, you know, in that storyline. They never but, explained it on screen. They never once explained that. No, no, and that so yeah. I, so, so they failed. I mean, like that particular plot thread was a failure because they never explained it on screen. They had to explain it in interviews after the. Fact. So it gets me to because I have complained about the story group many times on this on this podcast. And it is starting to seem like the South Park episode where they find out that Family Guy is written by manatees, you know, <laughs> where manatees are swimming around and they go and grab a ball. And it's kind of like, you know, they and they put three balls together to, to make the, the storyline. That's what it seems like because and that's the other thing is that Lucasfilm is still not on record of this is the movie that is coming out in 2021. This is the movie that is coming out in, you know, so. What if if they're either, you know, they either don't care that they're looking incompetent, 
or they're incompetent is what it's because the appearance is that it's just like because these rumors are coming out and whether or not they're true um it just yeah some of it just sounds like bad ideas and bad storytelling and you know um so i don't know i think Uh, it's a strong word incompetent but i also agree that it's not it doesn't look it doesn't look like they have a clear plan and and we've talked about that on other episodes and other shows and a lot of other people have made that observation and i think it's true they don't know where they're headed and i think that's pretty much been established by by now by pretty much anyone that's paying attention it's just and you don't have to be you don't have to have 100% of this stuff mapped out at this point. You just don't. But by the same token to what you were getting at, Aaron, I like I would have more confidence in receiving a good story that I enjoy if I knew that they had confidence in what they were trying to tell already. And I don't think that they have that. And because we've heard of all these, you know, Ryan Johnson trilogy and Taika Waititi's movie and all the, and the, and these other trilogies and all these movies that are supposedly coming out, it, you know, either we got a whole ton of Star Wars coming or they're just going through the idea drawer, you know, Which, and it's like, here, okay, this idea. And somebody goes, oh, this is the movies we're working on. And then they go, well, no, no, screw that. That's a bad idea. Let's, okay, let's do this over here. And, you know, um, so yeah, it's, I, I think that they would be, it seems like they need somebody in charge of marketing to say, all right, here, because listen to all these podcasts and people, all the net nerds, including three of us, you know, flipping their gaskets over things. And either if you don't come out with a, here's what you're going to have kids, you know, you're going to probably have rebellion, you know, and people are going to say, heck with Star Wars. You know, I mean, because they have more faith in something else than some other franchise. But no, but uh, but it gets to a point that we've kind of stressed a number of times. It's perfectly fine to make a movie and let that kind of guide you as to what you want to do next. Kind of like the Letting Mandalorian be the springboard for stuff like the Ahsoka Tano series, the Cassian Andor series, the Obi Wan series. You know, they're allowing this one success to kind of color the way that they're going to approach the other uh, things that they want to do through Disney+. Plus. I think that they're, they're almost getting into a moment of being afraid of picking one thing. It's kind of like a kid, a kid at a store, and they got to pick one thing. They can pick one toy. It could be any toy on, up on the shelf, but it can be only be one. And it's fine. Pick one. It, it can be the whether it's the Taika Waititi movie. And you can tell, look, we're going to make one movie with Taika. It's going to be fun. It's going to be irreverent. It's going to be goofy. If you don't like it, it holds no bearing to what comes next. But we're going to give you a Star Wars, a Taika Star Wars movie. Or it could be the first of Ryan Johnson's trilogy. And again, you don't have to be beholden to anything but telling a good story with compelling characters that people get behind and leave it at that. I think they get it like, and there's where I would agree with Aaron, they're getting too caught up in trying to be like Marvel because the Marvel model has worked. But the problem with the Marvel model is they're adapting. We said this before. Marvel adapts, you know, from their store from 50, 60 years of stories. Star Wars has to come up with this stuff. And it's fine to come up with something new and exciting and different. 
but don't feel like, oh my God, now if we, if we screw this up, you know, everything's going to go up in arms and that nurse are going to be up in arms. And, you know, we've, we've torched all our careers. Like you don't. They get so weirdly secretive about this stuff too. And I guess that's some kind of a carryover from the George days, but it's just like, you know, I, I understand if, if something gets out about a particular project that is like, oh, this project's in the works and then they have to ax it, you know, it's like, okay, well, it would have been better to not even mention it in the first place. But a lot of that stuff has been confirmed. Even these projects that get axed, like Josh Trank's movie, um, they had like, they trumpeted it up, you know, and so you're you're not really towing a good line between marketing your films in a in a really really aggressive way and um being super secretive at the same time so it's like so it's like we're not even getting they're not able to save, them, save themselves face with the way that they're approaching it right now because they're still face planning in public view but we're also not getting that kind of um, sizzle reel that we want. And like interest in the, in Star Wars right now is really high. And I, I think that's borne out by what we were talking about on a previous episode where the, the top streaming shows right now uh, on all platforms are Star Wars related. Um, so people are really interested in this stuff still. Even after episode nine, quote unquote, being kind of an ending to the to the saga, people are still hungry for more Star Wars. So, you know, give them that. I would say, um, and like when this kind of thing trickles out, and it's like, how much of this is real? How much of it isn't? So you take everything with a grain of salt, but the nature of it starts to sound kind of weird and shaky and you're like, wait, why are you doing this, this, and this? I mean, I guess I understand given the popularity of some of these characters, but I don't know how that's going to work. It doesn't sound like you would need good writing. You would need good directing. You know, you would need this, that, and the other to make this work. Um, it just creates a just this giant gap of skepticism i think and like we're all sitting here like you said we're the net nerds and we're here second guessing everything um but i think with good reason because it just it doesn't sound good on the yeah, surface yeah you can only you know eventually it's gotta you, you gotta call it it just like Sometimes you just got to say that just sounds, it just sounds dumb to me. And, you know, again, you could make, you could make the argument of why baby Yoda would be in a Ray movie. That'd be an easy, right? Argument. It would but, be, but Mando to be in there as well. That's, there's no reason. There's no reason for that. You know, uh, at least no clear reason, but anyway, uh, you got me fired up too. I didn't realize I was going to get that fired up about it. However, I, you know, I think, you know, I think the Marvel stuff, you know, the, the Marvel way of doing things could work within Star Wars, you know, and I think, and we're going to talk about Rebels here, and they did a little bit of that with, you know, like characters that didn't necessarily need to be in the series, but, you know, it, it helps, you know, bind the galaxy together, if you will, you know, um, 
So, but, but sometimes it's just like, it, it just, it, it's a square peg round hole, you know? Um, so, um, it was, well, it was Darth Maul showing up in the Han Solo movie. That was like, you know, what would have made sense would have been Boba Fett or Jabba the Hutt, you know, but, um, Darth Maul made everybody go, what? You know, it's like, so anyway, um, well, that's, that's enough for that. Uh, any more news uh, for, for this week? Uh, no, no, we'll leave it there because that's probably uh, as much news as we can stand, handle. And it's never news. It's, it's usually just all rumors, but uh, it's kind of right. time to speculate on these things. But I think we will need to find out what people think Baby Yoda's name is going to be. Um, <laughs> like I mentioned off, off pod, I'm going with Gary. I think, I don't know. It's going to be with a Y and two syllables. Um, I don't know. It's going to, it's probably going to be Yodel. It's going to be Yaddle and Yoda's kid. It's going to be Yodel. Yahoo! Yahoo! Corporate branding. <laughs> I, I think I'd prefer Gary to Yodel. <laughs> His first words are going to be. Oh, no, no. No, <laughs> Anyway, all right. So, do you, do you have a guess, Dave? Do you have a, a funny guess for Baby Yoda's name? No, I got nothing. I mean, like you know, like you said, two syllables with a Y. You know, it's a, um, a yiddle or something. I don't know. Uh, Star, Wars Under, Star Wars Underworld has already been calling Baby Yoda yiddle for uh, since the beginning of the Mandalorian series. So we can't steal that one. But I will. Okay. Say, I, will I will say yodel though. Uh, <laughs> I'll go with so, Yiddish. Um, calling an audible here because there are so many rebels. We're we were gonna we we're talking about maybe uh, discussing uh, Disney Gallery, but uh, I, I think maybe we we pitch that for for another episode sometime because it's I mean it's been okay. Is, I don't, maybe we can just do a quick round. What what are we just thinking overall? Um, I'm liking what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing. It's not. Like, I think the biggest surprise was the volume and what they did. Because a lot of the other stuff is stuff they've done before for Star Wars. The practical effects, uh, the pre-screen or the pre-concept uh, work of doing storyboards in 2D and then 3D. So a lot of that stuff kind of has been done before by Star Wars. So it, it's always cool to see, but there's a reason why they only give you 20, 25 minutes of it. Because there's only so much they can do that's new and different. I like the format of the roundtable too, though, because it gets them riffing off one another, and you get to hear some interesting conversation that you may not otherwise. Um, so I think that was really smart. And if they end up doing more of that for season two, I'll uh, I'll really enjoy it. I think I think it'll be a good decision to bring that back. But uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of anything specific in this time this time around. Um, I mean, Yoda's practical effects. I've heard, or, I mean, baby Yoda's practical effects. I've heard that. Yodel. Um, <laughs> Yiddish. Um, uh, I've heard that 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 puppet was like, what was it? The figure that we've seen bandied about, about how expensive. Like a million dollars, wasn't it? Was it? Or I thought it was two million. I mean, it's just. It's insanity to think about that, like, in terms of, like, how much money. Went so Fredo, into the development of that Fredo creature. Just, I'm sure Fredo just Googled how much did Baby Yoda cost, and it said $39.99 from the Hasbro store. <laughs> you know, 
I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I think you know from the Hasbro store it says about five million. Five um, million? Oh my goodness! According to CNET, Baby Yoda, the puppet, uh, was not cheap to make. The way they say, but cheap to make, he was not. So uh, apparently, uh, Adam Pauly, when he was punching him, remember he was in episode uh, in chapter eight. He was one of the two uh, uh, bike troopers that kept punching it. Apparently, he punched it a little too hard during the finale. And uh, yeah, that was a five million dollar punch. So uh, a couple things in the gallery that you know I've mentioned before. We've you know we've talked about before how it's like they're setting up Dave Filoni for um, you know some some future with you know he, I mean it's like hey kids this is the person who's going to be running Star Wars soon. Uh, that's one. The other thing is I think they're getting across um, that we have reached a new it, it's like we're leaving a plateau and we're going into a new style of movie making with what you're saying Fredo, with the previs with the um you know using the game engine so where you can you know where you can animate entire you know sets and you know then be able if if you just move the camera then you know so it, it, so it's a new visual effects new way of making movies um, I think, like I said, I think we've left a plateau and we're starting to move upwards towards something different. I think that's the other thing they're getting across. The third thing that was really striking to me, John Favreau almost just kind of threw this, just kind of set it, threw it away, and then moved on quickly to something else. But he was saying that basically there's one style that you can have for the movies, but then there are other places where you can play around with Star Wars, you know, and the TV episodes and the holiday special and the cartoons and the comic books, you have more freedom to do. So they, they are kind of now, I guess, basically writing in front of us a style guide for creating Star Wars. It's like, if it's, if it's the movies, then here are the things you can't do, you know, but if it's, the you know if it's the um, TV series you have you know more liberties and I think that's a very interesting so what I'm saying is that I think this whole Disney this whole Disney gallery thing it's all a propaganda piece mm-hmm. and it's to it's to get everybody's mindset of so when they see the Taika Watiti you know standalone movie or whatever people like me won't freak out because it's a more irreverent Star Wars movie. So actually, uh, you reminded me of something right quick. Uh, in that same interview that for Collider that the second unit director, Sam Hargreaves, did, he did mention one of the limitations of the volume was the height requirement. So like, you know, the scene in uh, chapter three, where the, the Mandalorian warriors are using the jetpacks. Like there's a height limit to that thing because it's all surrounded. So they have to be conscious of that when they were shooting. And because, you know, you can't harness... 50 feet if the roof of their set is 30. So it's interesting to consider that you have to take into consideration how, if you're gonna film it, that changes your perspective from where you're filming. Say if you wanna film, you know, somebody flying in a jetpack at distance versus closed versus. So it's an interesting, and I think that's part of what's interesting about Disney Gallery is that it's showing us how this new technology is being used, how they can use video game engines, how they could use, uh, the new technology with the old stuff to kind of continue on the traditions of Star Wars. 
And thank you. I'm sorry, I'm gonna interrupt you because that was the no. phrase that I was thinking of. It's it's actually it's like in uh, in music history, we're really in a neoclassical uh, era because you know neoclassicist. It was a it was a style of 20th century um, composition that relied on some of the um, techniques of the classical era. You know, from the from the 18th century. Um, but with combined with the more avant-garde stuff. And so I think you're this, they're starting to show that we're in this neoclassical, you know, it's not as CG heavy, you know, we're still using models, but then we got this new volume thing. And like I said, that's why I said, I think we're seeing that plateau. So it's, it's the neoclassical movement, if you will. <laughs> One of the things I talked about on the one of the more recent episodes was just like how they're pre-vising stuff like to an obscene degree. It's like you used to see um, we've we've all watched Empire of Dreams where uh, George Lucas is basically pre-vising his dogfights with footage from old World War Two movies. Right. Um, and so they're like taking this to this whole nother level where essentially every shot is prevised and it was incredible to see deborah chow's reaction in particular because she was like super gung-ho about this stuff and she was all about it and you can begin to see just from that conversation that she's having at the director's round round table why they tabbed her to do more of this kind of work going forward with the Obi-Wan series because she's just, she gets it and she gets it a hundred percent and understands exactly how this has to work and has embraced this style of work. Um, and so like, that's kind of like really cool to see and also really comforting when it comes to the future success of the Obi-Wan series. Cool. Yeah. So we have a, another episode coming tomorrow. Tomorrow is uh, the next, the second to last one. So next, uh, tomorrow we drop score. So it's all going to be about the musical uh, elements uh -huh. from the book, from the show. So talking about neoclassical uh, music. So we're, we're, never, we're never going to see George Lucas holding Baby Yoda. Uh, well, actually, I don't know. Uh, last episode of the season is called Connections. And that one is supposed to be about John Favreau and Dave Filoni looking back at the some of the Star Wars characters and props that made their way into Mandalorian. They'll stick a moment to showcase that 500 first. So they may have George pop in for that one. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll keep watching. I've I've been enjoying it. Yeah, you know, I always like behind the scenes, you know, stuff. Um, so no, this is this has been really cool. Um, cool. Well, hey, let's talk rebels. And uh, if, if you, it's been, Rebels has been done for two years now. And if you still don't want to be spoiled by anything, stop listening now. Um, but otherwise, we're going we're gonna to go through um, or season one. Um, not going to talk about the shorts. You can see the, the, the short little blips that they have on Disney Plus if you want to. We're just going to start with, uh, you know, with the season proper. Um, we're going to go through each episode, give a brief synopsis of, of what that episode is, and then just kind of if there's if there's something we want to that we want to talk about, um, you know, anything that kind of 
just clicks with us, you know, we'll, we'll discuss it that way. But um, so the first one, uh, first episode, and it was actually two episodes. Um, so it was almost, almost a full hour. It was called Spark of the Rebellion. Um, and um, I'll just start reading from a little synopsis here. Uh, it says, street thief Ezra Bridger is an orphan on Lothal, an outer rim world. He interferes with the theft of blaster rifles from the Empire by three ghost crew members, Kane and Jarrus, Sabine Wren, and Zeb Aurelius. Um, Ezra ends up stuck with the crew while making their getaway and meets Hera and Chopper at that point. Um, and while they it go, it gets on, I won't give the whole story away, but at one point um, we find out, if you hadn't read the comic books, um, but we find out you know, Kan that Kanan is actually a former Jedi um, because he draws out his uh, his lightsaber at the end. Um, we're also introduced kind of what you feel is going to be the chief villain in this uh, series, and that is um, Agent Callus. Um, so I don't know. Let's just so that's I mean that's kind of the get go of the first two episodes. Uh, when you guys first saw this episode, what was your gut reactions? Um, I think uh, in part it felt very much like a Star Wars series for young people. I won't necessarily say kids because you know they they have some a bit of dark elements here. You know uh, we've said in the past that the show gets progressively darker through. Uh, it's light at the start and then gets darker towards the end, but it never quite reaches the level of Clone Wars. But uh, what I liked about it was uh, that it was very much approachable. You did not need to know anything about Star Wars to see this. You can just, you know, in some ways, there, Ezra is very much an Aladdin archetype, streetwise, street well, smart kid who's been under call the They even call him a loath rat. So, yeah. yeah I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm like, I almost wanted to start singing the song, you know, street rat. Well, you know, so I will say, um, I like I've said it before, I never, I didn't see Clone Wars and Rebels was coming out. It's like, I'll give this a go. And my first reaction was, um, first of all, I was really looking forward to an, uh, a series that was going to be talking basically about the birth of the rebellion. You know, and it was going to be about rebels. I thought that was going to be really cool. And I will say, as we go through this, um, I think that was a little bit of bait and switch, or people maybe bought into that a little bit too much because that's really not that. That's kind of the set dressing for the bigger stuff that's going on. I think. But anyway, um, I, first reactions. I, I enjoyed it. I liked how there is a little um, a little audible cue for um, the force. So you pick up that, uh, which which would have been helpful in episode seven if Finn was indeed force sensitive to have this little ooh going on that we go okay yeah there he is because that's what goes on with uh, with Ezra you get this little you know kind of this little audio cue that tells you okay the force is at play here um, it uh, the, but my one thing was kind of like it looked like Disney animated Star Wars. You know, it wasn't yet, I would say when the series goes on and they start getting more space battle heavy, that looks like any Star Wars that's out there. It's great, 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 great. But when you get the character faces, they, they, it, actually it looked like Disney animated coupled with Davy and Goliath. You know, so, um, so that was kind of, so I had to get past kind of the, 
clunky animation of it. Um, I had to get because the story, but the, otherwise the story was great. You know, I really, really did enjoy the story. So, so Dave, what was your? Well, you got to remember the series debuted on Disney XD, um, which I don't even know if that network exists at this point. I'm, I'm sure it probably does, but most of us moved on to streaming at this point. Um, that's uh, so they were trying to kind of get this kind of more teenage Disney Channel thing going. And that was kind of like where that network was positioned. And so they were like, let's put the new Star Wars series on there. Um, you know, I I liked it a lot um, because the character archetypes were very easy to relate to. Kind of what Alfredo was talking about. Like, Ezra, you knew immediately who he was. Um, Kanan, the re the reluctant teacher, and they really they reveal a lot more about why he would be reluctant as you go on. But even it makes logical sense as like this is a guy who was there for the purge, um, and he would not have a lot of um, uh, <laughs> a lot of excitement over trying to wade back into those waters necessarily. Um, Chopper was one of the characters that jumped out, jumps out immediately at you because this is unlike any other droid that we've seen. Um, this just this sassy droid who's just like constantly talking back and. See, and I didn't, I didn't like him at first, and then he grew on me, and now I've got his figure sitting here in my case. So yeah. Uh, but the the benefit there was that he's different. And I like that about pretty much all the characters. Zeb was a character, like his spe species we'd never really seen before. Um, Hera subverted expectations because you were all accustomed to the sexy Twi'lek, you know, that's been a part of this universe since Return of the Jedi. Um, and she's like, no, I'm just really smart and a badass. My and I can fly a ship, you know. Um, so I like that they subverted expectations. Sabine, of course, too. We didn't even talk about her yet, but um, um, this, what's what's the deal with this Mandalorian who's obsessed with art? Um, and so you know, they did a really good job of establishing everybody right out of the shoot, um, kind of like establishing the chessboard, so to speak. Um, so I was pretty much in right away. Uh, this when I first watched this show, it was like I was trying to DVR it because I could never watch it live. It was just not on at a convenient time. Yeah. Um, so we would try to DVR it, and then the episodes would pile up on me, and then some would get deleted from the DVR, and you know I'd miss a bunch, huge chunks of this show. Um, but the, the I guess like the thing about this show that I would go back. To, kind of circle back and finish here to what Fredo was saying. It's just, it's like you can, you can be dropped into the deep end here and still swim. It's like, you understand who these people are. You understand what this universe is all about and it all makes sense. And even if you miss, you know, six episodes or whatever, you're still going to be able to kind of figure things out. And that's, See, that was, yeah. So no, I was going to say, no, just gonna say real quick, and they do the classic Star Wars shorthand for getting you on their good side, which is they're helping rescue Wookies. 
because everybody <laughs> loves Wookiees. So uh, that was yeah. smart. Yes. So you know, in this in this episode, yeah, the other things they did well. It's what I talked about with you know episode seven. Um, they here's this um, uh, show that has all new characters for the most part. You know, uh, and how do they make you feel comfortable? Uh, first of all, the music uh, you know helps because the music they actually even just lifted things. You know, uh, absolutely. Um, but, but the other ways that they do this, you know, you know uh, Ezra accidentally opens a holocron and you get the recording from obi-wan kenobi and so you see what you know an animated version of episode three obi-wan kenobi and it's the guy who you know voiced uh from uh the clone wars but uh so you see that they're going to kessel you know so if you grew up you always heard you know the spice mines of kessel you know in episode four so there are things there to make you feel you know Okay, I I'm, I know what universe I'm in. Um, so you know, like so, and yeah, and you got Wookies. I mean, that could have been anything else. It could have been it could have been a totally new, you know, species of something. But to have Wookies, you'd like okay, I know I'm in Star Wars. So again, those are things I think that are important to drop in. I think Rebels did that sometimes very well, and sometimes it was just a cameo that really was just kind of didn't make much sense. But uh, moving on to the next episode, droids in distress and the ghost crew steals a shipment of disruptor weapons from uh, Minister Tua to, tell, to sell to Visago, uh, accidentally bringing the Imperial service droids C-3PO and R2-D2 with them in the process. So R2 and C-3PO are in, and this is, again is, and uh, at C-3PO doesn't like what's going on. He ends up ratting them out and, um, so again, we said R2 has seen everything. He's seen everything. And even at the end, Kanan gets, returns the two droids to their rightful owner, Bail Organa, voiced by Jimmy Smits. Um, and, uh, it, this, this is one of those episodes that probably could be considered filler, but it's, uh, they're just kind of, again, I think, but the, the whole, the whole point of this first season is really the relationship building between that crew and i was gonna say and it's one of the first episodes i mean minister two is going to become more important on the line visago both becomes more important on the line but i think the biggest point is they establish the way that Ezra sees the world and the way his relationships shift because all that you know they pay all that off in season four towards yeah. you know, but and, but they're not but they don't do it in an obvious way, which is why I think it works so great. And in this episode, of course, that's when Ezra, you know, uses the force and shoves Callus up against the wall. So it shows how powerful he can be. And you talk about Kanan being the reluctant teacher. That's this is kind of when, you know, they realize that Kanan needs to be, you know, <laughs> gotta gotta train him or he's gonna kill somebody type of type of a thing. Um and uh, we also find out they, they start building that Zeb and Callus. Um, yeah. Um, dynamic. Right? dynamic yeah. yeah, I was uh, just going to say, like, that gets paid off big time later on. Um, but, like, here is the really the beginning uh, seeds of that. Um, so, yeah, it's an important episode from that perspective, too. But, I mean, the overall, the overall reason this episode exists is that you need to put Ezra in a stressful situation where he tries, he's starting to care about these people, 
you know, before he was a loner, he's starting to care about him and he, you know, taps into the force and realizes that he can be dangerous. Um, so the rest of the story really has nothing to propel it except for that. We need to get them in some sort of, what'd you, I'm, but what'd you think about R2 and 3PO being in this? Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I just like, again, like the, they serve their purpose though, because like we're talking about how you get introduced to Bale as a result of them being in this story. And so like, that's cool. Um, we learn that these are like, these are smaller cells. These rebel, these rebels are all in smaller cells and they're all kind of doing their own thing and it's being coordinated. Um, but one hand isn't necessarily talking to the other at this stage of the game. And so like, it's kind of really, you really, the, they serve their purpose in establishing, what the rebellion looks like at this stage. Cool. Well, uh, next episode is called Fight or Flight. And uh, starts off basically Ezra and Zeb are, um, you, you really start to see the kind of the, the, the brotherly, you know, uh, dynamic between two, but, but they're, they're getting into fight. They're getting on each other's nerves. And Hera says, you know, go out and go out and go buy groceries. So really, I mean, Hera sends them out to buy groceries. And then they then they start running away from stormtroopers, which, by the way, Rebels makes stormtroopers out to be the dumbest things on the planet. Just, I mean, it really took that, uh, you know, that uh, running gag of the stormtrooper not being able to hit anything and just took it to a new level of incompetence. But anyway, um, so they're, like I said, it's they're going out to get groceries and they stumble on to you know, Imperials and they have to start running away and they end up stealing a TIE fighter. And so um, after they crash, supposedly crash the TIE fighter, um, Hera's happy that Zeb and, and Ezra are, you know, a little bit more friendly with one another. I mean, really, that, that's what this episode is. So again, one this one could definitely somebody would probably say this is a filler episode, but that Tie Fighter comes in handy at the end of the season, and so you know that's why I always have a problem when people talk about this is a filler episode. It's like you're not going to know until you you've seen all the episodes in their entirety and how they fit with one another, because a writer a writer for one of these series does not just sit down and write an episode or like when jk rowling wrote you know the harry potter series i'm sorry i know that's probably we don't want to talk about jk rowling right now but we don't have the time but all of these but all these things you know where harry came from and what was his parents and bob da, 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 all these things were there and then you start writing the books and you start filling in the gaps right um so there's a reason they knew they were going to need something to, you know, at the end of this season. So we need to get them their hands on a TIE fighter. There you go. That was, like you said, it was a chess game. So no, no. What'd you guys, anything, anything on this episode? You, you, you see Ezra's relationships with some of the locals on his planet. Um, and so you get, you get more development there for Ezra, which is kind of nice. Well, and it's important later on. Again, it's planting seeds for the end game for later on down the road. I think that's one of the things that uh, we'll harp on for through season one specifically. 
they're, they're putting stories or they're putting elements regarding the cast of characters that we know. Why is it that, you know, the, they behave in such a way? Why is it that later on um, Ezra will make some of the choices he makes? So, but it, all of this is just, it looks secondary, but it, it's showing you the impact that the Empire is having on Lothal and how that's been, that, that's impacting Ezra. So, so the uh, next episode is where things really start to heat up. I think it's called Rise of the Old Masters. And Ezra is uh, training, and he um, uh, the, uh, as he's training, they uh, they discover a transmission. There's this like uh, I don't know what you want to call it, like Radio Free Europe or something like that. I don't know, but there's a there's a a, a senator in exile who is like giving these these illegal transmissions, um, and uh, they bring the fact that. Jedi Master uh, Luminara Unduli um, survived Order 66. And so they think that she is alive, the rebels do. And Kanan says, oh, she would be great to teach you, Ezra. Which Ezra takes as Kanan doesn't want to teach me. Again, this is all about relationship building. Ezra has found a big brother or father figure you know, in Kanan. He probably wouldn't admit that, but he's really starting to feel like he belongs somewhere and to have that person say, I'm going to pawn you off onto somebody else. You know, it, it creates, you know, some more tension there. And it's also, again, it's what Dave was saying, the reluctant teacher. Um, they come to find out that it was the grand inquisitor. That was the other big baddie that we haven't talked about yet, but the grand inquisitor uh, uh, that is, was using actually Luminara is dead and using Sorry, spoiler alert, but we told you that earlier. Um, and he's using her bones to lure uh, Jedi, you know, out of hiding. Um, so this actually got me thinking about, you know, kind of some sequel trilogy stuff is that, you know, again, Palpatine working behind the scenes to put ideas and visions into people you know that's what's going on here the you know the inquisitor is let's make them think that their jedi master is you know so manipulating um yeah i, I don't know I, I just think it's a I, I i saw those connections but like i said i thought this was where the season really started to kick into gear so i don't know what you guys think of this episode there's some horror elements here like that we were talking about like is this show appropriate for children you know it's like they're using this corpse essentially to lure people to their deaths so like i wanted to make that point right off the bat like that's like really morbid and gross but kind of cool um the other thing too about this episode that really stuck out at me is like uh i talked about that novel master and apprentice um, they really deal with a lot of these similar dynamics of are a master and an apprentice like meshing and those feelings of being rejected that can come into play if, you know, if the master is thinking about potentially moving in a different direction. Um, so there's some parallels there. Um, so I would say, like, if anybody, like, really liked this particular episode, that you should check out Master and Apprentice. Yeah, and one of the things that we should probably mention is Kanan is, was a Jedi Padawan. He was a young child 
at the moment Order 66 was uh, unleashed upon them. So he's carrying a lot of survivor's guilt from his master sacrificing herself in order to save him. So he's got some training. He knows some ways of the force, but he wasn't. his training wasn't completed. So there's a sense of he's now facing the weight of responsibility over um, training Estra and recognizing that he may not be the best teacher because he doesn't have all the skills. And again, he's got all this guilt around the idea of training uh, Estra because of what happened to him. So in a way, you know, the idea of Luminara being alive acts as not just a beacon for, okay, we can get a Jedi general to come in and join the rebellion, but also somebody who actually knows what she was doing can help better guide Ezra and I could. And I, I like the idea of the, the resolution that they get at the end because it says, look, I may not be the right teacher for you, but you're all like, you're, I'm all you got. And the funny thing is that Ezra was never looking for anybody better because he doesn't know any better. All he wants is somebody to guide him. So I think it starts, as uh, Sarah said, it's where the show kicks into gear because now we're seeing those bonds that we're kind of, uh, you know, beginning to see in the first few episodes kind of start becoming stronger. And yes, the Grand Inquisitor becomes one of those really nefarious villains. In a way, I don't think that Rebels gets as good a villain until uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn shows up. No, I, I, I guess I would agree with you on that. They're, that they really did step up their villain game. I mean, again, it's these that we have now are very Disney villains. Pretty much Disney villains. You know what's interesting about that though, too, is like it kind of mirrors the path of our heroes. Like they're really not top of line soldiers at this stage of things. They're very much trying to find their way through this. So they're getting met with adversaries who basically are equal to their skill level. Um, but over time, those adversaries become stronger and stronger. And but their skills have developed as well, so it's good storytelling. Mm -hmm. So the um, next episode um, is another one that I remember at the time people were like, "What is this one?" <laughs> uh, it's called Breaking Ranks, and Ezra goes undercover in the Imperial Academy, and um, they, thanks to his Jedi training, is able to prove to be the most capable student in the class. Um, he get he makes a couple friends. Um, one, he finds out one of the kids he's becomes friends with is in there um, only to find a sister who the empire had kidnapped. Um, and then there's another one that he meets call his name's Jai Kel. And um, we don't, then we, we, we end up hearing from him again in season four. So again, I think it's like, did they place him in this episode on purpose? I mean, because a lot of us in season four had to go, who's this? What? And you go back. So it's not like he had a huge role in this, but anyway, so he's at the Imperial Academy. And um, so they end up kind of having then to break their way out of the Imperial Academy when they, the, their suspicions become true. And um, so, yeah, I don't have much more to say about this episode because it's just that it's just like, it's like them, playing obstacle courses and trying to fool the Imperial officers. I don't know. Thoughts? 
Uh, more than anything, I think the only thought uh, that this episode kind of goes against it reinforces the idea that Ezra has a different way of seeing things sometimes, and that that pays off in new ways down the road. His ability to find allies or to make connections with different people, people who the likes of Kanan or Sabine would not necessarily reject, but they wouldn't think of them as potential allies. You know, Ezra has a way of connecting with them and at some point coming and bringing them along to his side. And there's just another episode showing that because, yeah, Jai disappears for two and a half seasons and then pops up in season four. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's him. So I also want to shout out my wife because she brought this up to, and I agree with her 100%, which is that Ezra is one of the bravest characters that we see throughout any of these stories. And you can see that in an episode like this, which is kind of like on the surface, one of those kind of throwaway episodes, kind of like a clone heavy episode from Clone Wars. Um, but he's going undercover. And if he gets discovered, like he's done. And like just the willingness of his character to like put himself in harm's way like that, just to try to uncover a little bit of intelligence um, and, and give his comrades um, some measure of, of, a, of a success or reaching an objective. Like that, the fact that he's willing to put his own life on the line in that way, um, it really just stands out. And he just does that constantly throughout this series. All right. Well, next episode is called Out of Darkness. And um, the, the Phantom needs repairs the phantom is the piggyback ship that's part of the ghost and so Hera and sabine go out to get um to an abandoned republic uh asteroid base to retrie retrieve supplies provided by fulcrum this is the first time i believe we hear about fulcrum who is an informant that uh, is helping the rebels um and um sabine again this is all about relationships because sabine and Hera are you know forging their own relationship around trust and everything because sabine's wondering who's fulcrum and what's what's this mission and what's going on harrow's like you know you're on a need to know basis and you don't need to know and uh that's and she's like well why don't you trust me and so it's very much this mother-daughter you know kind of uh fight that's going on again this season is all about uh relationships and you see you know sabine you talk with sabine was one of my favorite characters um she's a mandalorian obviously very hot-headed, very capable. Um, but, you know, there are times for immaturity, you know, shows. Um, but anyway, they have to fight like a bunch of uh, beasts that, you know, when when it's or come out when it's shady, you know. So if there's sunlight, then they're safe. If there's not, then they come out and attack. Um, but they eventually get saved by the ghost and uh, um, Sabine and and Hera work things out. So anyway, out of darkness. What do you guys what do you guys think or remember of this? They pay this show off in a future episode, and we don't have to wait long for that. So yeah. I like that about it a lot. But it is, you know, I don't have much else to say beyond that. It I they lay the seeds here and they pay them off later. Yeah, I guess I'll just add in regards to the relationship, there's a reason why. Harrison treating everybody on a needs-to-know basis, and there's a reason why Sabine questions things, and those pop up later on down the road. But it's interesting that 
they're making sure, even though you would think, okay, you've been riding around, flying around, completing missions against the Empire together, but they still are having to learn to trust one another. Again, all it's all about the relationships, like you say, but there's a reason why one of them behaves the way they do, that when you find out, you go, well, this makes sense, why they were like that. Well, I mean, that's, and again, that's, we're in, we're in the first we're in the first act of of a you know larger story and so you got to you have to teach the audience how who these people are how they react to certain things how they react to each other um and you know it's not like they've been together as a crew for all that long either so they're still learning how to dance it's like being in a band it's like being at a job um so these episodes are very important. Again, if you if it was just going to be one season of Rebels, then you'd be going like, "What, what the hell are we doing here?" You know. But this, we we got time. You know, we got time. Like you said, even though we got payoff coming off in a couple episodes, I mean, we there's even more payoff to come. So uh, next one was uh, really kind of cool. Empire Day. We find out that uh, Ezra was born on the day that Palpatine declared the first galactic empire so that's uh so his birthday is always kind of one that he doesn't like to celebrate um but uh and this is also the first time that we hear the imperial march in real world and in a major key which is annoying actually uh, scott colesby who joined us last week um this is one of his things he hated the most about solo was the fact that you heard the imperial march you know that that theme music in real life, if you will, it was being played as you know propaganda. And they did that in Rebels a couple times, and this was the first one. Um, and like I said, and in a major key, which is awkward. Um, but anyway, so they decide that you know the the Empire is having a parade for Empire Day, and so they uh, decide to you know blow it up, um, which. You know, it's kind of funny because it's like they're terrorists, you know, um, but but they're good terrorists. So uh, they got big hearts. Uh, but he finds out that he discovers um, a friend of Ezra's parents, a Rodian and a Rodian that was like Greedo, you know, from uh, from Star Wars. Um, he discovers, first of all, the Empire is looking for this Rodian and Ezra recognizes him and then finds him in his house and comes to find out that uh, this Rodian knows what happened to Ezra's parents, or at least they think they know what happened to the parents. Um, by the way, Ezra's parents, we didn't say, um, are not in the picture in Rebels at all. So, um, but uh, again, this one, after breaking ranks, this one felt like we're propelling a story somewhere. It felt like a little bit more well thought out story, um, not just, we're going to run around on, you know, obstacles until the empire figures us out and then escape, you know, um, or, you know, run away from creatures as we're trying to steal fuel. But this one really had some kind of, uh, more deeper themes running. So I don't know. What'd you guys think of empire day? We talked about, uh, Ezra being very, um, Aladdin like as a character. Um, here's where he starts to become more Harry Potter. <laughs> where you begin to learn of his attachment to his parents and how that may inform his actions going forward. Um, beyond that, this is mostly a setup episode. 
for stuff that's going to happen in future episodes. Yeah, because I was going to say, because I want to say this episode and the next two kind of lead into one another. This is kind of the first time since the first two where they almost become serialized, where, you know, it's not a payoff down the road. It's, oh, you're going to get stuff that happens here, leads into the action of the next one, which will lead into the action of the next one. And it's, it, in a way, this is the episode where you kind of start seeing the show, you know, you know, if the the episode with uh, Master Luminara was the show kind of taking a step forward, there's the next step forward for the show in terms of being comfortable in the story it's telling and in the characters. So the uh, next episode, this is where, Dave, you're talking about the payoff, right? Yep. Uh, it's called Gathering Forces. And by the way, the Rodian that we are just talking about, his name is, I guess we're going to say Tebow, which is also the name of an Ewok, but they added an S into the guy's name. So it's not the same, but, you know, sorry. It's still, again, we can't come up with, you know, can't come up with original names. But anyway, all right. So learning that Tebow failed to save his parents from being abducted by the Empire, Ezra lashes out at Tebow for um, betraying his parents' trust. Amidst the chase, the Imperials managed to attach a homing beacon onto the hull of the Phantom, which is the piggyback uh, car for the you know ghost, which Kanan opts to detach from the ghost in hyperspace with himself and Ezra. That's the first time we've ever seen anything like that in Star Wars, where you just kind of leave hyperspace not knowing where you are. Um, and um, the two arrive at that Republic, Old Republic fort that Sabine and Hera was at two episodes ago. Um, and all the evil creatures start coming at him again. Um, but this time the Inquisitor tracks him down and there's a battle ensues, lightsaber battle. And um, there's also a lot of, uh, no, that's a different episode, sorry. But anyway, so Ezra again taps in this time into the dark side of the force and gets the biggest, baddest um, evil creature to go after the Inquisitor which this kind of scares the heck out of uh, Kanan um, because, you know, it shows he's susceptible to the dark side. Um, but um, back on the ghost, Sabine gives Ezra a picture of his parents that she found in his house. So that kind of builds their, you know, starts to cement their relationship again. Um, and so then the ghost takes uh, Tebow to Fulcrum while Hera offers to relay to Ezra what Tebow knows of his parents' fate. So that's this episode. What'd you think? Well, how's it a payoff, Dave? I mean, it was good, but it set up more for the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> so to kind of get to your point, it was like, this is where the series really starts to feel more serialized in nature. Um, whereas Clone Wars kind of would jump around a lot in the timeline you're like, wait, what's going on now? And where are we? And who, which are these characters? Um, this is very much telling uh, this one small group of characters story in sequential order. And so you're really feeling that right about now here in this episode. Yeah. Two things. I mean, uh, looking back on this episode, the first thing that kind of strikes me is the idea of they established that Ezra has this kind of deep connection to nature through the force yeah. that exhibits itself in this connection. It's going to come back later on down to the loath cats, the loath wolves, other creatures that we come along, you know, on their journey, on the, on the character's journey. 
but uh, and it comes out this way in terms of how he's able to get the creatures that are you know you know that overran this old Republic fort uh, base, you know, and and kind of connect with them to kind of get them to fight the Empire on their behalf, and then also showing that same idea of how he's capable of tapping into the dark side because again, he's not you know. Kanan can't really teach him some kind some things to protect himself from it, and he's still very much, uh, you know, given everything that he's going through with regarding his parents. Ezra's building a strong bond, familiar bond or family bond with the crew of the Ghost. So if he already lost one set of fam one family, you can be sure he's not going to do lose another one. So he's going to do whatever it takes, and that could be the kind of the path for him to fall into the dark side. And I kind of blew past this point too, but like uh, in the first couple of episodes of this show, uh, Hera takes on kind of a motherly role with Ezra. She shows him more trust and faith uh, than pretty much any of the other characters right off the bat. And this is paid off here as well. At the end of this episode, um, she's trying to find out more about his parents for his benefit. Um, because, like, again, she has kind of those maternal instincts at this point towards him. So the next episode, um, which was really pretty awesome, and I didn't see it, didn't see what happened coming. Um, so it's called Path of the Jedi, and, and now that Kanan realized, okay, Ezra's powerful with the Force, and he actually tapped into the dark side, we need to really start getting serious about this stuff. So it takes him to the Jedi Temple on Lothal. And um, so it, it's to just kind of test him for his, you know, upcoming training. And so while Kanan stays behind, Ezra is just kind of roaming around the temple and is faced with a series of visions and challenges, you know, shows the Inquisitor killing Kanan, which is, you know, um, uh, so again, getting into that sense of loss. Um, but... Um, after seeing through the illusions, Ezra is guided by the disembodied voice of Yoda. And it's actually Frank Oz Yoda, not the Clone Wars Yoda, but it's actually Frank Oz doing the voice of Yoda. So it was like, you know, giddy boy here when I was like hearing Yoda. It was like, yee. Um, and it helps him to admit that he's uh, afraid of being alone again. But Kanan also speaks to Yoda about his you know ability to teach ezra so all this time i'm sitting there going yoda's busy on dagobah he's talking to everybody <laughs> he's on skype he's on for skype for skype <laughs> you know for it you know of course you know and, and you you could you could also say maybe it's just force using a familiar voice but i mean it wouldn't be familiar to ezra at all you know, I think this is, I mean, Yoda is tapped into the force bigger than probably any of us ever thought, or at least, you know, that's what they're laying down the groundwork here. But anyway, so I thought it was a really cool episode. And oh, and, and Ezra gets his kyber crystal, which he can build a lightsaber now. Um, so what'd you guys, what'd you guys think Path of the Jedi? He calls some, I, this is one of my favorite episodes as well. Um, just, you know, we get Yoda, yay. But also it's just, you get to see Ezra kind of self-actualize at this point. He's beginning to take actual steps towards um, becoming who the person he should be. Um, but I also like for this, like I find it interesting 
and like thinking about how do these people who are sensitive to the force like sense one another um because like later on in this series you're gonna see uh kanan and ezra talking about sensing other forces and other people and what that's like for them and like oh this is a much more powerful force um etc um so this is like where does ezra rank in this you know at this stage of the game and how did yoda was able to like commune with him i'm sure through some sort of mystical thing surrounding the temple but yeah the jedi have adt it was his app went off and it was like <laughs> the his so, ring I, camera his ring camera went off and he was able to see him at the front door yeah. yoda's like who this uh, <laughs> well you talk about like the virgins in the force you know they talked about in episode one and they talked about you know when ray uh burst onto the scene in episode seven it's like you know awakening like, yeah the force there's been awakening in the force you know like these kinds of things ezra didn't like have that kind of uh impact on things at all um but it kind of makes his journey more interesting in that respect because you're like well what what can he ultimately become even though he's not coming from this position of raw power that other people originate from so uh looking at it first of all it's you know the the lofal jedi temple becomes such a key element in the story down the road so again it's another small seed planted here that's going to pay off even bigger down the road uh i love the idea of having yoda connected with the uh, Ezra and kanan because it makes sense it's not going to be obi-wan it's not going to be uh any or whatever uh Lost Jedi Masters or this or Knights may be out there. It makes sense that even uh, in the darkest time for the Jedi, Yoda's still teaching or helping guide students. Uh, but it's a moment for Ezra and Kanan to kind of bond. And they make a good point of putting them separately in the temple, giving each of them their own individual journey, and then bringing them back to say, okay, you're a master, you're the student, and this is going to be your journey together. And it's a, it's a good kind of conclusion to kind of this three episode arc that we had but that it allows us to kind of see again it's another step forward for the characters you've grown now now you have a lightsaber and you're more along your way uh, so next episode we don't have to spend long on this one sorry <laughs> this one uh, come on agreed it's called idiots array and zeb is playing sabak with lando calrissian voiced by billy d williams which was kind of cool um but then that's where kind of where it ends i mean uh, by the way wasn't c3po voiced by anthony daniels when yeah, they, yeah. Uh, so so they were getting the cast you know the original cast people come in and record for this show so that's where all the budget went it ain't going to the to the facial animation. It went to the to hiring the voice acting. I mean, we we learn about you know, there's another kind of you know baddie that's out there as more as Morrigan, um, and but he's only in for a few episodes in the first couple seasons. You know, Lando will come back later. But this just seemed like let's put Lando in something, and there we go. I mean, so <laughs> you know. The one piece of it, the one thing I'll say to defend this particular episode, and again, it is, you know, if we're talking filler, this is one of those episodes, but 
Uh, this feels like maybe some groundwork for Solo, um, which we saw in the second episode with the Spice Mines of Kessel and the Wookiees. And yeah. you're seeing a little bit more of that here with Sabak and Lando. I would say also that um, not everything can be really heavy. You just got done with a few heavy episodes. It's kind of like when you're, again, I played in a band and you're playing some really, after a while, you got to play Brown Eyed Girl to get people, you know, you, you can't play all the heady, you can't play, you know, um, you can't, you can't play 2112 the entire, you know, first side you know, you, you got to throw in fly by night, you know, <laughs> so you got to give them something to chew on. Uh, so, but yeah, you're right. Maybe, maybe it was. Um, but um, otherwise, uh, if, if, if you need to skip over one, this is one you can, yeah, it's, it's just there. It's just, yeah. Really the only thing I'll say in its defense, it's, it's Estra and uh, he somehow finds a way to see the good in people and it comes through. But other than that, yeah. This one's not the most serious of ones. The next episode was really kind of interesting. It's called Vision of Hope. And that uh, that se exiled senator that, you know, had the underground recordings that we talked about earlier, uh, Gal Travis. And Ezra has a vision involving meeting him. And um, and basically the thing is that the, the vision is fragmented. And, and Ezra is convinced of what it means as a vision in the force. And Kanan is like, uh, you might, it might not be that, you know? Um, so they end up, you know, somehow the, the 15 year old kid convinces them all to, you know, go after the, uh, the Senator and it turns out that the Senator is a double cross. And, um, you see all the bits of Ezra's, um, vision but then you know you see the stuff that's in between so while a vision looked positive ends up being you know kind of a negative scenario um and uh, we you know he says that ezra's parents are are dead and gone um and so you know ezra's really disappointed by the betrayal of gal travis um but uh, they seem a little bit more resolved in their cause. So it was just, a, I think this episode is really interesting just to see how Ezra is getting more powerful with the force and how, you know, we always heard stories about how like Obi-Wan saying, this is a dangerous time for you where you'll be tested to Luke in empire. And this is exactly what's going on there. Ezra is being tested. Um, so I don't know, Dave, what do you think? I'm going back to master and apprentice. Uh, Again, I'm going to plug that book maybe till the end of the time. It's my favorite one probably of all the ones that I've read. And uh, they deal a lot with this idea of prophecy and figuring out, you know, trying to see visions and what they actually mean and how you can interpret them and that can, how you can change the future and things like this. And so um, I like that storytelling and I, I think it's effective here. Um, but, you know, and it, we're okay, again when we talk about laying groundwork, we're kind of laying groundwork for this idea of what would it look like to have a broadcast that unifies people. Yeah, of the you know, what I think what, what I find interesting about this episode is that it almost feels like this is you're seeing the empire beginning to take the rebellion seriously enough to consider doing something to infiltrate it because that's kind of the 
the element that happens with the broadcast or the senator is that he's being, you know, he's using his broadcast as a mechanism for the empire to find rebel cells. So the rebel cells are becoming enough of a worry for the empire that they're trying to do something about it. And that idea, I mean, it's, you know, we don't spend a lot of time focusing on other rebels. We don't spend actually any time with the other rebel cells during the first season. We only see glimpses or, you know, we only hear about it from what somebody else did in passing, that kind of thing. But it's the idea, that idea of there's a grown rebellion and the Empire wants to stop nip it in the bud, so to speak. You know, and, and to that point, the next episode, Call to Action, because the rebels are causing more, you know, problems, um, they, a, a biggie is sent to Lothal, and that is Grand Moff Tarkin. Um, who is uh, the the voice was done so well, um, and just the character of Tarkin was done so well in this series. Um, so, um, so Grand Moff Tarkin goes to Lothal, um, and in light of discovering that Travis is actually an Imperial spy, the rebels debate broadcasting a message to nearby star systems. So they're trying to rally people to their cause. Um, so Ezra really wants to do this, you know, broadcast um, this message because that's what his parents did in their house in their basement, um, and they're so they're going to try to basically hijack the Imperial communications tower, and then Tarkin actually blows up the communications tower, um, and uh, it's uh, and then. Uh, so, but they end up finding out that they do get the message. The message did get out to people, um, but Kanan is captured by Tarkin and the Imperials. And this is also the episode where uh, the the two uh, Imperial officers are beheaded by the um, yeah, Inquisitor. And uh, yeah, was, uh, I remember watching this episode going, whoa. I mean, you don't see anything, but the implication is there big time. So, and then uh, Kanan, as you said, gets captured, and over the ensuing episodes, is tortured relentlessly. Um, so again, if you're talking about like, is this appropriate for kids or not? You know, those are the things you have to weigh going into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's welcome to see Moff Tarkin again. Um, it's it's hilarious to me. Like, if you step back from it. And you look at this ragtag group of like five people and like all these heavy hitters like end up getting sent in and after them and they just keep rising to the challenge and just keep continually getting away, getting captured, getting away, breaking people out of prison, you know, like they it just like they they keep succeeding. Um, it's just kind of hilarious in the in you know to think about it in those terms, but I guess what the, the animators and the storytellers do a really good job of is still not taking away from like that mystique or intrigue surrounding the heavy hitters, like the Tarkins and the Vaders and et cetera. Um, you never feel like they're the dupe or the idiot or the wily coyote of the story. Um, and you know, it, it, but it is funny. I mean, it's like how are how are you guys like having this much success? 
Yeah, and I think that uh, I want to say that this is the episode I mentioned a few a few uh, pods back where you see that escalation where it goes from oh it's been light and you know there's been a few moments of darkness but by and large it's been very kid friendly and approachable and this is the one where when Grandma Tarkin has the Inquisitor behead those two Imperial officers for their repeated failures at capturing the rebels and it's not even played like for laughs or anything it's just you get a cut of you know a lightsaber just going through and where two spots where people were sitting there's nobody sitting there anymore so um, uh, it really escalates. This is the next step in the story's development. Okay, the rebels have become enough of a threat that they need to send somebody like Tarkin who's going to escalate and be willing to sacrifice stuff that the Empire deems valuable in order to capture them. So next episode, because Kanan is captured, so the next episode is called Rebel Resolve. And... Um, they can't find out where he's being held, and Hera is urged by Fulcrum to go into hiding, take the ghost crew and go into hiding. And, um, of course, Kanan and Ezra um, go against Hera's wishes and devise a plan to to rescue Kanan and strikes a deal. I guess Sabine's involved in that as well. Yeah. And he strikes a deal with Vizago, um, who we've met in an earlier episode, but basically, this is laying the groundwork for um, for breaking breaking uh, Kanan out. Um, so, but what we find out is that um, Kanan is uh, being taken. He's in uh, Tarkin's Star Destroyer, and he's been taken to. He's being taken to, going to be taken to Mustafar, where Hera says Kanan told her that's where Jedi go to die. Which I will say that made me very confused when I heard that line because I mean we knew that Mustafar was you know from episode three and you know obviously that's where Vader you know had his castle and stuff like that but the whole where Jedi go to die how that uh, did I miss something how did that become legend no because but, yeah that might be where it started um, right here. But she said that she'd heard about it from Kane, and that's where he said Jedi go to die. So well, I mean, in the canon, this might be the oh. first mention of it. But like, it is really kind of a jarring statement. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. So um, I can't remember. Did, had Rogue One come out at this point or not? Well, this was released in March second of twenty fifteen. I'm sorry, uh, Rebel Resolve. Sorry, uh, February twenty third, twenty fifteen. Um, so no, Rogue One came out in December of 2015, right? Uh, okay. Uh, 2016. 2016. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, we had not seen Vader's castle. I mean, like, you, in some of the peripheral material, but you hadn't seen it on film. Um, <laughs> and so, like, that was all very um, in the I mean, that air. Wasn't, in that the air. Wasn't, yeah, that wasn't in this Rebels episode, but um, just the fact right. that they went to Mustafar. It could have been any planet that they took him to, but they decided Mustafar. Is this is this a setup for rebels? This kind is of what where you're Vader. About. Yeah, I mean, like Vader. I mean, the implication is Vader destroys Jedi. If they ever capture them alive, he's going to want to interrogate them before they ever um, before they kill him. That's and fair. so it's so it's like okay, we're going to bring him to Vader, um, and like I mean, he was the exterminator of the Jedi. I mean, Order 66 and everything else after that. Um, so, 
you know, it makes sense storytelling wise, but it is still kind of like, like for you, I, I understand where you would be coming from where it's like, wait, wait a minute. Have we established this yet? Is this, are we just now establishing this? I don't know. Um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Fredo. Sorry. No, I was just going to say no, because what's interesting is in Jedi Fallen Order, the final uh, chapter of that story takes place in Fortress Inquisitorius, which is said where the Inquisitor program is based. And that's not in Mustafar, that's in Nur. So it's interesting that they've gone back and maybe expanded on it a bit uh, to show, okay, they may have, you know, Mustafar may be where Jedi go to die, but that's not where the Inquisitors arise out of. So there may be a reason for that, but so far they haven't said why. There was a little... Go ahead. No, go ahead, Dave. Go ahead. I was going to say, there's a little detail in this episode that I really liked, um, mm -hmm. which was Chopper infiltrates the um, Empire with... They give him a paint job, and he goes that in. Was, and I was just going to say the same thing. I was like, "This yeah. is like the first time of many where we many. get Chopper a paint job." Yeah. Why didn't he leave him painted? Why didn't he just leave him painted for good that way? Because they do it all the time. I mean, that would make sense, but maybe he likes his like rusted red coloring. I don't know. But like, what was great about this was like they abducted this other droid. Yes, and, and he like fits in great with the crew, and everyone's like, "This droid's fitting in just fine." And like, so Chopper like pushes him out of an open air passage. <laughs> yeah. it's just like whoop. I always loved Dave Filoni. Always said that Chopper was like a cat. That's that's the ad. He said R two was yeah. like a dog, loyal. Would always stick by you. Would come through in the clutch for you. Uh, Chopper was more like a cat. He may yeah. like you today. He may not want anything to do with you tomorrow. He may taunt you today. He may stick by you tomorrow. So, you know, way more mercurial. Uh, and by the way, so well, okay, so we'll get into the next one because you know these last two are kind of one big episode. So that was Rebel Resolve. The last one of the season is Fire Across the Galaxy. And this is their they're breaking into um, Tarkin's uh, Star Destroyer to rescue Kanan, um, and they're you they have to use the uh, the Tie Fighter that Zeb and Ezra stole way back in the second episode um, that Sabine has given a paint job to, um, <laughs> and. Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of they do a good job of putting some lighthearted moments in here. Um, and while they're um, all running around the Star Destroyer, and and uh, and uh, the the Inquisitor is um, torturing Kanan and questioning him, and they actually bring up Kanan's master. Um, I can't pronounce the name right offhand, but uh, yeah, okay. Um, but anyway, so so we're talking about Order sixty six and how he escaped and all this stuff, and it's really pretty pretty dark. Um, but anyway, they end up breaking him out of there, and the Inquisitor and um, Kanan and Ezra end up having a, a lightsaber duel. That's kind of like Episode One, you know, but just you know, but not everybody's as you know well trained. Uh, as the others, um, but um, Kanan thinks that Ezra is killed. I assume, and and he really he said that this is one of the coolest lines. He said uh, that was a mistake, and um, 
the Inquisitor says, why? Because you have no one to die for you anymore? He says, no, because I have no nothing to fear. And the, you know, that the Jedi's biggest weakness is fear. And so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Kanan really embraces himself as a Jedi at, at this at this point, I think. Um, but what's funny here is that Chopper is supposed to be, you know, man in the getaway car, and he flies away because Fulcrum, you know, comes in, dials in, and Fulcrum says, you know, who are you? And so they have, and so they have this little conversation that's kind of obscure, and then Chopper flies away, and then they're all ready to leave the the Star Destroyer, and the getaway car is not there. And so, but then Chopper comes in to save the day with a couple Karelian Corvettes, and um, they all blast their way out. And yay, everybody is safe. And we learn that Fulcrum is none other than Ahsoka Tano, which is a character I had never heard of at this point. And everybody on the internet was like, oh, it's Ahsoka Tano. And I was like, oh, that's cool. What's this about? You know, but again, didn't lose anything from the episode. And end up going forward. It was a very awesome character. Um, but then the the really cool thing was kind of the epilogue, and that's where Tarkin wasn't getting stuff done. So now it's time, and you got one of the coolest shots. You just have Vader walking down the gangplank and just is breathing, and that's it at the end of this uh, episode. Um, so because the I've left out because Kanan defeated the Inquisitor. So now it's Vader's got to turn up the heat. So anyway, what'd you guys think of the end of this season? Yeah, today, um, my, my kids have kind of a vague remembrance of this series. Um, they kind of knew that Vader and Ahsoka turned up at some point. Um, but we just finished watching Clone Wars. And so we're watching Rebels with them. And they're sort of experiencing it for the first time because, again, like they sort of have some memories of it, but not really. They don't remember many of the details at all. Um, and so it was fun to watch this with them because they kind of, at least my oldest predicted Ahsoka would turn up, would be Fulcrum. Um, I think that's Ahsoka, you know, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and so, like, I think even for people, longtime fans, uh, that was something that they probably could have predicted, but it was probably still very gratifying to see. And it was the same way with the Vader reveal. You've watched, um, you know, 15 episodes at this point of a series that's set between episodes three and four. You're thinking Vader has to be a part of this somewhere. Um, there's no Vader, and then you get him. Um, so just a very gratifying episode. You know, if I can, if I can say real quick, something we haven't talked about, um, and we'll talk about it even more when we start talking about season two, uh, in the coming weeks, but the, uh, the design aesthetic of this series leans so much on Ralph McQuarrie. Yeah. You know, the way the, what Vader looks like is like taken directly out of Ralph McQuarrie's, you know, paintings um the and yeah and and even even the landscapes and everything i mean they lifted stuff directly out of his work so it's really i mean that's those are kind of deep cuts that are really kind of nerdy um but very makes it makes it very very cool anyway fredo what'd you think yeah uh, i think it, it ends really strong for a first season it 
it does something that I didn't think was going to be possible, which is it it climb, you know finds a way to climax by killing one of your big bads, you know, which normally you don't get in a season one. Normally, you know, you try you tend to keep characters around because you want people, you know, that are you know they're comfortable with to stick around. But no, they're, they're able uh, to find a way. And I always love the line from the Inquisitor of "There's things worse than death." And you're like, okay, what is he talking about? And then, of course, you find out it's fate. Isn't that become kind of Star Wars mo though? Now is like it's like, hey, we got Snoke. Oh, he's dead. Hey, we got you know the Grand Inquisitor. Oh, he's dead. <laughs> I mean, but what I, but what I liked about it is that the Grand Inquisitor was kind of an introduction to bring Invader, to bring the other Inquisitors, to bring Grand Moff, uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn. So whereas uh, you know. The sequel trilogy, well, not to disparage it, you know, they killed Snoke and they brought back Palpatine. You know, they, Rebels, find a way to introduce new characters or old characters in a way that made them a threat. Because that's the thing, you know Vader's going to be around, and, and well, not to get ahead of it, but, you know, they made sure to always put stakes against the crew of the ghosts that were serious enough that they might not make it out, but that you knew they could face. Very rarely were they you know, so overwhelmed. And when they were overwhelmed, you knew it because they're point blank telling you this beyond our ability to handle. So, no, I, I like the way that the season ended. I like the way that they paid stuff off. I even like the way that, you know, the fact that Tarkin loses, you know, his Star Destroyer just amps up the pressure because every success that the crew of the Ghost has only brings more attention, more, uh, more threats, a more danger to them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say one more thing too. Like the end of this episode is really powerful. Um, and the way that the cavalry arrives to me, like works in a way that the end of episode nine doesn't quite work. Um, and like, I, I know that what they were trying to achieve there and, and in some respects, I still, you know, enjoyed it. But here you're like, yes, Chopper has arrived with the cavalry and you know who this cavalry is. You know, Bail is, is a part of it. And you know, Fulcrum's a part of it, even though we haven't revealed Fulcrum yet. And it's um, it's very gratifying. You know, to me, again, this this whole first season is uh, I like seeing how the characters you do see growth and you do see relationships built. And they but they didn't they didn't become like Zeb and Ezra didn't become best of friends overnight. You know, not everybody didn't met. There was they they built it over these 15 episodes of you know, um, like I said, building those, those ties. Um, and I, so, so I thought that was really cool. And, you know, I think the action really steps up and the, the storylines start to solidify and become a little bit longer stretched in the next coming seasons. Um, these were almost vignettes, you know, in this season, like I said, just to so you get to know who the people are and where we're going. But yeah, you're right. At the end of this episode, it, they do actually feel really alone. Like at the end of episode nine, I didn't really feel like it was like them against the world, even though it was kind of them against the world. Um, 
but here you felt they were really alone. You didn't really all of a sudden, they, and they didn't know there were other rebel cells. Hera did, but she wasn't relying on them. So for you know, for that you know, Bail Organa, like you said, those couple Karelian corvettes coming out, and it's like, hey, there are more rebels, and so they start seeing a greater purpose at the end of this as well. So, yeah, no, so that was. Those are 15 episodes, and um, so we'll, uh, the discussion might get a little bit more heated in the coming seasons just because, uh, you know, cameos, like we had a couple cameos in this one. We're going to get a lot more cameos, and we're going to find out that Dave Filoni wasn't done with um, Clone Wars just yet as we get into the next seasons. So, um, but anyway, yeah, so that's our discussion for Rebels. Um, and uh, what do we got? What do we got uh, planned for this weekend? Um, for the coming week, anybody? Anybody do anything fun? My my twenty fourth wedding anniversary is on Monday, so congrats! Yeah, yeah. Brittany and I, we just we've. It's weird when you've when you've known each other longer than you haven't. So. Look. It's something I told my mom during one of the wedding anniversaries. I said, you do realize you've lived with my dad longer than you lived with anyone else ever. More than you live with your parents or your siblings. And so it's like, no, they're alive. I'm like, no, no, I mean, at their home. You spent however many years you did at home, but now you spent this chunk of time with this other human yeah. being. And she went, you know, I never thought about it that way. Because <laughs> it's true. It, in some ways, that's the relationship that defines you. Yes. All right. Well, everybody, have a great week. Stay safe. Keep washing your hands. Uh, you know, just wave at people. You can shake hands later, and you know, wear masks. Uh, wear masks. You know, and uh, don't make fun of people for wearing their masks. You know, don't be a jerk. Uh, you know, our unofficial motto here is "Be nice or leave." You know, so you know, just just do be, that. So, just be nice. Just be nice. Yeah. Just be nice. So, cool. All right. Well, everybody have a great week, and we'll see you next week on the Who Dat Jedi podcast. Until then, we'll say, Who Dat? Who Dat? And we'll see you later. My monkey.